0: 1208 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The inauguration ceremonies going on at the state capitol. In just a matter of moments, Tony Evers will cease being governor-elect, and he will be the governor of the state of Wisconsin for the next few years, showing that elections do have consequences when... Governor-elect, soon to be Governor Evers, speaks. We will bring you the speech that they've released a, a copy of the text of it, and it's, it is a brief speech. I don't think it'll last more than 10 minutes, but we will bring that to you when he begins. I don't know when that's going to occur. We've got a number of things I want to talk about on today's show, including as we look forward to the Evers administration, I think it's appropriate one more time to look backward. A lot of people are wondering what the legacy of the last eight years in Scott Walker is ultimately going to be. We will discuss that along with a number of other things, but I want to start off on kind of a lighter note for a rainy day and a Monday. I mentioned this on on, on Friday last, I never thought I would end up doing this, but my Twenty-year-old niece is is in town. It's a, her college break. Doesn't have to go back for a week or two, and so my brother calls me up and says, "Hey, you know Sydney? That's my niece. Sydney wants to go play bingo at the Potawatomi Casino on Saturday night. And would you would you and Fran be interested? We'll go out to eat, and then what we'll do is after we we'll, we'll have dinner, then we'll go over to the Potawatomi Casino and we will play bingo, and." Yeah, you know, I said, "What time does it start?" And he said, "Well, it's, it's night out. It's like eleven o'clock at night to two o'clock. It's eleven o'clock at night. Didn't know how long it lasts." So I said, "Okay, that's fine. We'll always want to do something with my goddaughter." So we we do that. Get there about ten fifteen. This is for an eleven o'clock session. There's already long lines, but here's here's what I. And then it went on until two o'clock in the morning. So the place is pretty much full. We were in the back in kind of the non smoking area, even though. It's pretty smoky everywhere you go. But um, we went with – there ended up being eight of us total. But here's the thing that was so interesting to me. For all our conversations about the way technology changes the world, who would have thought – that technology could change the way you play bingo. Now, I have not been to one of these bingo halls in years and years, but I used to go with my mom when my mom was alive. Well, my mom passed away about eight or nine years ago, so... And she was sick for a time before that. So, I mean, I probably haven't been into one of these places where you play bingo for at least a decade, probably longer. But I'm used to the thing where you sit down and you go in and everybody buys the bingo cards and you have the daubers and folks sit there with their little lucky troll dolls and you play the the game like that. Well, no more. (laughs) No, no more. As As I'm telling people that I'm going to go do this, everybody's saying, well, you're going to get a computer, aren't you? And I said, well, what do you mean computer? I mean, I'm used to going to play bingo where you get the cards and you, you know, do these type of things. And they said, well, nobody does that anymore. And candidly, I didn't know, I mean, I was a complete newbie, but what happens is they have hundreds, thousands, I don't know, of these like uh, iPad looking devices. And what happens is you, you can still get the old fashioned cards, although I didn't see too many people with them. Almost everybody rents one of these computers and the computer is preloaded with all the different games that you are going to end up playing. And so you don't have to. And then all you do is for every game, all you do is when they call a number, oh, 63 or whatever, you just push this button. And let's say you've got, I think, for what I paid, you, you have like 14 or 15 cards or whatever it is. And they call 063. You push this button, and then all the cards that you have, if there's an 063 on it, it automatically marks it. And what it will display is you can adjust it, but it'll display of the 15 cards, the cards that are closest that get closest to when you're you're going to get whatever the particular bingo game is that you're playing. So all you really have to do is push the button every time the thing gets called. And then in what is the complete sort of no brainer type of thing as you get close to getting a bingo. And this only happened one time in like 31 games. As you as when you get to the point, it tells you on every particular card, how many, how many numbers you need to win. So when you get down to only needing one, that one number starts to flash, you know, on your screen. So if you need, I don't know, G47 or whatever, it flashes telling you that that's the one that, that you need. Now you still have to, to call bingo, but it is pretty much in my case, idiot proof, because it tells you pretty much if you've got bingo. So all you do is you sit there and you push this button one after another after another. But it's, it's completely technologically changed the game. Because when I was thinking about going down there, I was like, well, no, I'm, I'm going to get these cards and all. But I will tell you, It it almost, and everybody said, Jeff, you're nuts. You know, you don't want to do that because that's going to be work. You know, they call these numbers fast and you have to do this. This way, all you have to do is rent the thing and and you're all set. So I I rented the thing, and you know what? About 20 minutes into it, I was telling everybody, my gosh, I'm glad we rented this particular thing because, you know, if I was trying to keep up and play the old-fashioned way, I would have quickly been, I don't know, overwhelmed, but I would have been quickly frustrated, I think, with... All the circumstances behind it, but anyways, I, you know, I, I people ask me, did you have a good time doing it? And the truth is, I, I don't know. It was a little bit late. I, I didn't know how long it's going to run. At about one o'clock in the morning, I'm kind of looking at my watch, going, "Oh my god, we've got another eight or nine games or whatever to go." But for the whole the whole schmear, fully loaded on this computer, it was I think thirty three bucks. And it was three hours of entertainment, and you could have won. Now, I didn't, but they had the, the pots for the different games somewhere. I mean, most of them were 200 bucks, and you, you split it if there's multiple winners. But they went up to like $1,000 for some of the things, and some of the earlier sessions have higher buy-ins, but they pay more money. But you know what? I, I'm, I was looking around, and I could tell that there were a lot of regulars that were there, But I could also tell that there were a lot of what I would describe as – it struck me as college kids, like my my niece, who, you know, not 21, so you're not old enough to go into the bars, but yet you can go in here and for – you, for three hours for in my case thirty three bucks, and my guess is maybe you could figure out a way to do it cheaper than that i i don 't know, but around that, you get three hours of entertainment and you get free soda and It was an interesting experience, and it was a fun experience and What really again struck me is the way technology has has changed this to the point that i can 't under i don 't think I would ever ever go back to sitting in there and doing this the old-fashioned way all right one segment 414-799-1620 and we are monitoring the inauguration as soon as governor-elect tony evers becomes governor evers and speaks we will bring that to you but have you been to one of these bingo places recently and is is have has technology completely and totally changed the way these things operate? Because I understand I was going to be old school. No question about it. I was going to be old school. I was going to get the daubers. I was going to get all these things. And now having done this once, and it took me about three minutes to figure it out, and my friend Mary, who was there with me, Mary was showing me, her and her husband John were showing me how to do this stuff. But once I figured it out, it's like, oh, I just have to press the button. I don't have to work anymore. 414 1620 That's the Accident Mortgage Talk in Text line. All right, has technology revised this game that all of us have played for generations? And is it for the better? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I am just amazed at the way technology changes our lives. In in little ways and in big ways. Now this is a little way, but for the first time in over a decade, I went to a bingo hall. I went to pottawatomie on late Saturday nights, early Sunday morning, and and along the way, everybody was saying to me, well, you're going to get one of the computers, aren't you? And I was thinking, why would I get one of the computers? I'm used to bingo, and you just go and you you get the things, and you, like, daub along, and everybody said, no, you really don't want to do that now. I went down there, and for essentially this I would say this is the way the vast majority of people there might have been people playing the old-fashioned way I didn't see anybody but there 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 might have been in this full bingo hall you rent this computer it's preloaded with all the different games including you know nowadays it's not just bingo it's to to win bingo you got to make a Y or it's got to be four corners or, or whatever this is preloaded with all those different games on it it tracks it all you do is you, you punch this button And candidly, about 15 minutes in, once I figured out how to do it, I thought, you know, this is probably the way of the future. Martha in Elkhorn. Martha, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Oh,
1: yes. Good morning. Good Uh, good afternoon. afternoon. Hi, Martha. Uh, I can relate to this. Excuse me. Um, I used to work there as a security officer. And uh, it was a common thing, my son being one of them, that the college students always went in the evening. They always did. And on the day that he was there and I was working, he actually won a Jeep. Um, and it was you know I don't I as far as the technology, they didn't have that when I was working there, it was about twelve years ago. Um, so I I think it sounds pretty neat, but part of the other type of the bingo plane, people also like that. They just like that part of the adventure of it.
0: Yeah, well no, I mean, no, thanks thanks for calling. I mean, I thought it was again, I I understand what the appeal is. Now in, in will I be rushing back? I don't necessarily think that's the case, but it it from the perspective of you got a couple young people with you who don't really want to go down the bar route, and like I say, for me it it was 30 bucks and and you got to play all the games and you got more cards than you could possibly handle and and it was 3 hours of of entertainment and so i'm and free soda so i was sitting there thinking i understand the appeal all right jeff here's a text jeff i went like three months ago got six cards the old-fashioned way was not long i was overwhelmed the lady next to me helped me thank god but yes the the ipad thing is the way to go laugh out loud jeff you've got to play glow party bingo at pottawatomie the last saturday of each month it's awesome let's talk to mark in port washington hi mark you're on wtmj
2: Hi Jeff, it's uh, incredibly ironic that you bring up this topic because I went to uh, Potawatomi on Saturday with my daughter and her friend, and we cause we did it on a whim. We were looking for things to do, and sure. we showed up maybe a little bit late. Uh, we got to the front uh, desk at about six so five six ten. They I think they started their session right around six, and uh, by the time we were at the front desk, she said that they had already gone through about full three cards already. So you talk about the speed of the
3: technology
2: that they use with the computers, but, The one thing that, it it was a a lot more expensive to go to that session at 6 o'clock than it was for the nighttime. Right.
0: Cause I, I I think cause what, what it is, the pots I think are a lot higher for the evening than they are for the late night thing, yeah.
2: But, but as she's explaining us, she had this plastic card, that uh, laminated card that showed us all the different games that we play and my head was spinning. I I, I swear I needed a college degree just to figure out the, all of the options because by the time she got done explaining it, she said, well, you can do this gold package, which is like 260 bucks. I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that tonight. <laughs> you know, but it was it was amazing. She, I said, well, I, I kind of like to use the old-fashioned where I just dot the numbers. And she said, I don't think you want to do that. <laughs> it's going to go really quickly, so you, you better take yeah. the computer. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. So, is that what you did?
2: we we ultimately decided not to do it because okay. by the time she was done explaining it we, yeah. this, we they were already on the fifth
0: game. Well, I mean, no, thanks to Colmick, there there were actually a lot the line was going very slowly because there were a lot of people and they had to go through the, these explanations, but yeah, I think that I Okay, and again, I was playing the late night one and the pots were a lot smaller, so the buy-in was a lot smaller. I ended up getting what they called the silver package, which was fine, and it was 33 bucks, including all the different special games and whatever. But no, I, I acknowledge it is, it is overwhelming, and this is somebody who has grown up. This is somebody who's grown up going to casinos. I understand the intricacies and the math of games like craps and stuff like that. I'm telling you that the bingo and the different options, and, and you're right, it's not like for people who haven't played any time recently, it's not just like the bingo that we grew up with, which is, you know, the, the straight lines or the diagonal thing, five in a row. No, now it's you make all these different shapes and things like that. And if you have the computer, like I say, it automatically tells you when you're getting close so you don't have to pay attention to that. Let's talk to Greg and Waukesha. Greg- here on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
4: Hey, how Hi, are you doing, Jeff? <laughs>
0: Good. I- I've recovered. I-, I will tell you, though. Okay, so the thing ends at 2 o'clock in the morning. I don't get home until 3, and then Marquette played a basketball game at 11 o'clock Sunday morning. I was a tired scooter by the time, you know, 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon rolls around. I needed a nap.
4: <laughs> <You know. laughs> wow, wow. Um, I coordinate Bingo, actually, for a uh, one-year event that I do uh, called that I help out with called Project Graduation at some of the different uh, Waukesha high schools. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's fun. Um, We don't obviously use the technology, but um, I can see where that would be of a, you know, of a benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't forget, Jeff, with the technology, too, you miss out on some of the bingo jokes. Like I, Because I assume there isn't a person calling the bingo games there. Oh, no, no,
0: no. They have a caller. No, no. And so okay. he's telling the bingo jokes, too. No, he, he's oh, – okay. no, no. Okay. No, they have a caller, yeah.
4: Okay, well, um, I just I, – I think it's totally fun. I like um, – I'm totally blind from birth, so I like the sound of the bingo balls. Oh, right. You know, even if they fall out of the – you know, sometimes you have the mingo balls falling out of the uh, little cage that they're in, and then you have to chase the balls down. And, <laughs> I, you know, it didn't... brings out a whole new level of excitement. Well, I mean,
0: they call. I mean, I didn't. I didn't see any of that happening. Although, I mean, it, but it is a kind of a fast-paced game, and I, I do understand why people say. All right. It helps to have like one of these computer things because, like I say, every game is different, and it's not just like the five ball, you know, the five you know numbers in a row anymore. It's all these different shapes, and if you've got the computer, it it tells you that, especially if you are a newbie. But like like I said, I was like, well, why do I want to get this computer until I realized, hey, this is the that's the way to go. Uh, Tom in Mequon. Tom, you're on WTMJ.
5: Good afternoon, hi Tom. I just happened to be out in Tacoma two weeks ago and went to a, a bingo parlor with my son who's not old enough for the casino, and you didn't even have the option of the computer. It was nothing but computer banks.
3: Right, right.
5: And you sat in front of it, and you weren't even participating. The machine told you each game how many correct bingos you needed to fill out that card. Okay, and it even told you if and when you won. You didn't even have to pay attention.
0: Oh, so you didn't see now the ones they had that I was Saturday night. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. You, you had to actually punch a button and enter the nope. things. No. Th- this, so this was all automatic.
5: It showed 36 cards on the screen in front of you. And every time a number was called, it filled out any card that had that number. And it would say, let's say, if you needed eight of them to form a square yeah if you've got two of them you need four left or five left on this card seven on this card yeah
0: well this four, would three. tell you right this would tell you that but you actually had to push the button i think so you had to push the button for the number but again I, I bring this up uh simply because i understand some people might say well bingo you know who, who cares but it, it to me what i was really struck by is how uh, again it, it's a lesson of technology And how things have changed over, over the years. And even to the point now that you have this game that everybody has played at some point in time. And the way we play that is now dramatically different. Like I say, I guess you could try to do it the old fashioned way, but it it would, if I had done it, it would have quickly been over my head if I tried to play 14 cards at once or something like that and remember, oh, I need a Y or whatever. It's just, it's just amazing that now, You can't even go to a bingo hall and play bingo the old-fashioned way. You probably shouldn't without being left behind. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, and we continue to monitor what's going on at the Capitol. Stick around. 1235 Jeff Wagner WTMJ the inauguration is rolling along um, Josh call who's going to be the new state attorney general just finished his remarks um, my guess is that Mandela Barnes is going to be the next person sworn in yes and then he'll give a speech and then Tony Evers will be sworn as governor we will bring you Evers a speech hey interesting developments in a case that has riveted the entire country and it, it does show how sometimes the the initial narrative is is just completely and totally wrong. And it's one of the reasons, one of the lessons I have learned perhaps the, the hard way in doing a show for years and years and years is that when you get some of these initial reports, sometimes you need to be skeptical about them. This is the story. Okay, last week you might remember the case of the seven-year-old girl in Houston, Jasmine Barnes, who was injured in a who was killed in a drive-by shooting. What what happened was you have seven-year-old Jasmine riding in a vehicle with her mother and her three sisters. Someone in another vehicle pulls up, um, pulls up and starts shooting into the car. And seven-year-old Jasmine is is killed as a result of of the shooting. And then the car drives off, and it became the subject of a national and then actually an international news story and a manhunt for the people that were supposedly responsible. Well, the initial reports, based on observations and claims made by um, some witnesses, were that this was a, a white man in his 40s who was responsible for doing the shooting? And immediately you had a lot of people coming out and saying, okay, this is, you know, th- this is another example uh, again of the the hatred that's going on and we need to have a hate crimes prosecution, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's where the focus was. Well, as it turns out, um, that this this narrative was completely and totally untrue. they have now arrested a twenty year old black man, and they believe that there was and, and he 's apparently made statements indicating that he was in the car they They have not at least as of a few hours ago i don 't believe apprehended the other person, but authorities know who it is. But these were two young black men, and this was apparently a a case of mistaken identity. I don't know if this was a gangland intended gangster shooting or something like that, but it was two young black men who fired into the wrong car essentially they were they thought this car was being driven by somebody else and they decided to do this as again a a drive-by shooting type of thing but the dominant story for days we had been told that this was a 40 year old white guy who was responsible for the shooting and as it turns out it's two 20 something year old black men so the whole narrative of the hate crime based on race and stuff turns out to be false now it doesn't change of course the fact that a seven-year-old girl is dead, it, 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 and it doesn't. And I'm not attributing malicious motives to the people who, at least the initial witnesses who made these statements. But again, it's one of these examples where – A lot of times, people are looking to rush to judgments. And for all the prominent folks who decided that they were going to use this as an example of, uh, again, here's another situation where you have the race crime, et cetera, and we need the hate hate crime prosecution, maybe it's another example of where rather than opening your mouth, it's a better situation to just kind of wait and let the facts develop. Because like I say, without attributing any ill intent to anyone, these reports that it was a 40-year-old white man that was involved in the shooting, that is just flat not true. There's another thing that comes out of this story as as well. And it's how they caught the guy who is responsible. Again, it's believed to be two young black men. They caught one because he failed to put his turn signal on. And he he got stopped. They had had information as to who they were looking for. But it, it was like a A regular traffic stop. The guy was driving. They didn't stop it because, hey, we we think this is the guy that's responsible for this murder. They stopped the car he was driving because he failed to put on a turn signal. So he gets pulled over for the the quote-unquote routine traffic stop. And then, you know, one thing leads to another. They're able to identify him and they're able to figure out, hey, this is the guy that we're looking for in connection with the shooting, which I, I have always said this. When it comes to fugitives, and I mean, I worked for years and years with members of the U.S. Marshal Service who that was their task to try to find fugitives and things like that. I will tell you, I've always believed that if you were running from the law and you were trying to avoid getting caught, one of the things that you should just never do is drive a car because you would be amazed at the number of people, whether it's fugitives or suspected criminals or whatever, who end up getting caught because not because they committed another crime and were caught in the act of a crime, but they get caught because they're driving a car and they do something silly. They go through the red light. They're pulled over for speeding. They've got an out-of-date license plate. You name it, doesn't matter. And that's what, again, leads to their apprehension. This is another example of where that happened. But the bottom line is, they have solved this crime, apparently. They're in the process of, they've caught one guy, they're looking for the other people, person that they believe to be involved. But if you bought into the narrative that, okay, this was a, a racially motivated hate crime and this seven-year-old girl is dead um erase that from your memory bank because that does not appear to be the case 1241 jeff wagner wtmj 1243 jeff wagner wtmj so eric did you happen to watch any of the golden globes yesterday just a little bit of it just bits and pieces all right have you seen the emerging story of the 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 most famous thing coming from last night's golden globes Uh
6: oh what was that?
0: No, no. Well, it was actually oh, it was I on heard. the it was on the carpet beforehand. The blue dress, jo- girl. the the, yeah. the Fiji Water Girl, Jordan. Did <laughs> yeah. you see the story? Okay. Well, this, this is I, I started seeing all this stuff on on social media, and mm-hmm. and it's going. Are you checking out Fiji Girl? And I'm thinking, <laughs> what is what is Fiji Girl? What is this? Okay. So they had the Golden Globes, and you've always got the the now. I didn't, let me confess up front, I did not watch the Golden Globes. I mean, this is, I don't watch these award shows as a general rule, but I, I started to like look this up after I'm seeing all this stuff on social media. So you've got the red carpet, although I think it, you've got the red carpet. So you've got all the celebrities mm-hmm. are going, they get out of the limousines, yep. they walk up the red carpet, they pose behind the thing that says Golden Globes, yeah. and everybody then looks and, you know, especially when I talk about sexist, it's like, okay, what's this woman wearing? What's that woman wearing? Who's the best dressed, Etc. cetera, et cetera. Right. Fiji Girl is this model who was hired to what well, we think of her. her name is Kelleth Cuthbert. And she, she's in this blue dress with kind of a plunging neckline, and she's standing there with a silver tray that has bottles of Fiji water on it.
6: Now, is she offering the water to people? I yeah. Never, okay. So well, I mean, it's, I think it's for the actors and right. It's right. Some it's water. for okay. the people yeah. that that are right. there. Yep.
0: But she's effectively. She's photo bombing. I mean, I, I don't I, I mean, I, I don't know if they told her to do it or, or whether she's just fo- now the ultimate thing would have been if she didn't re- really work for Fiji. You know that would, <laughs> you just kind of like show up with a tray of bottled yeah. water and you kind of pose. But she's in. All these pictures. I mean, every single one. She's like in in the background, and she's smiling and looking at the camera. So it's one of the greatest examples of of Mm photobombing that you could ever (laughs) imagine. And she's the rising star. Forget about Glenn Close. Forget about Ryan Seacrest. It's the Fiji girl in the blue dress who was killing it. Mm -hmm. That's it. Okay, we have been monitoring the Tony Evers um, inauguration. He's now just being sworn in. So let's dip into our coverage.
6: This is uh, Capitol Rotunda, the Courtesy of Wisconsin Public Radio. Tony Evers being sworn into office. That I will
7: uphold the Constitution of the United States
6: and the Constitution
7: of the State of Wisconsin and the Constitution of the State of Wisconsin and will
1: faithfully and
7: impartially discharge and will faithfully and impartially discharge
1: the duties of the office of governor.
7: The duties of the office of governor
1: to the best of my abilities. To the
7: best of my ability. So help me God. So help me God. Congratulations.
6: Tony Evers now officially Governor Evers. He's now waving to the crowd. He is going to speak here. Pat Rogansack, Chief Justice, did the honors. Several former governors on hand for the speech and for the ceremony today.
7: Thank you, Isabel. Thank you so much. Nick, let's give these young folks another round of applause. They've been exceptional today. Chief Justice Sack, Honorable Supreme Court Justices, Former Governors, Constitutional Officers, including newly appointed State Superintendent Carolyn Stanford-Taylor, yeah. Cabinet Secretaries, Tribal Leaders, Members of Congress, State legisl- Legislators, General Dunbar and the National Guard, as well as active and retired members of our armed forces, distinguished guests, friends and family, and most importantly, the people of Wisconsin, welcome and thank you for being here today. I especially want to thank Governor Walker and Lieutenant Governor Clayfish for their service and their families for their service to the state of Wisconsin. I also want to thank my wife Kathy and my family for their relentless support from Toma to Verona to standing here today and everywhere in between. I love you all and thank you. Finally, to the people of Wisconsin, I'm humbled to be here today as a kid who grew up in Plymouth, met my wife in kindergarten, took her to junior prom and went from scraping the mold off of cheese to teaching science to becoming state superintendent and now standing before you today. I am so grateful for the trust you have in me and the opportunity and privilege to serve you and this state. Thank you all for being here today. In case you may have forgotten, I'm Tony Evers and I'm incredibly proud to be the 46th governor of the great state of Wisconsin. we spent the past year traveling across our state talking about the issues that matter most to the people of Wisconsin. We talked about what's best for our kids is best for our state, and that means we need to fully fund our public schools at every level so that every kid in the state has access to a quality education, no matter what the zip code from all-day pre-K to our university and technical college systems. We've talked about making sure that health care is affordable and accessible and protects people who have pre-existing conditions. We've talked about gravel roads and potholes and bridges and why we cannot wait any longer for a sustainable solution to our transportation crisis.
6: Governor Evers is taking a break from his speech at the moment. It looks like they're having some technical issues, a hum there.
7: But today, it's bigger than these issues that we all care about. There we go. We cannot fix these problems unless people come before politics. we've become paralyzed by polarity and we become content with division we become indifferent to resentment and governing by retribution we've gotten away from who we are and the values that make wisconsin great not republican or democratic values but our wisconsin values values like How about this? Kindness and and respect. (laughs) Empathy and compassion. And integrity and civility. (laughs) Folks, this is bigger than me. This is about the people of Wisconsin. It's about setting aside political interests and personal ambitions to work together on solving problems. It's about putting people first. People like the 870,000 families in Wisconsin who are struggling to make ends meet because they can't afford basic necessities like childcare, food and transportation. People like the mom from Oconomowoc who spends two hundred dollars a day on medication because she's among the 2.4 million Wisconsinites who have a pre-existing condition. Like the dairy farmers from Washburn to Door County, losing their farms passed down for generations who have been the backbone of our state for the better part of a century. Like our kids across the state going to school in classrooms with 30 other kids because we failed to fully fund our public schools. Like our seniors from Rhinelander to Racine, who can't afford soaring drug prices or rising health care costs, and who deserve to age and retire with dignity. Like our young people who work multiple jobs just to stay here and afford their student loan payments, they're also looking to us to make sure that we take gun violence and global warming Seriously, thank you. I took to the oath today with the grace and humility of knowing that no single person can solve these problems alone. The challenges we face can only be fixed by finding solutions together. You know, 170 years ago, our forefathers charged us with being industrious and innovative. They gave us a mandate to go forward. We face that calling here today. We must turn the page on the tired politics of the past. We must lead by example. It's time to remake and repair our state and reclaim our better history. The people of Wisconsin demanded a change this November, and that change is coming. But that change won't happen without all of us. So that hard work begins here today. It begins in our classroom and our playgrounds where our kids learn to be accepting and treat each other with kindness and respect, regardless of whether their parents were born here, what their circumstances are, and no matter their identity.
0: It's 109. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, You, you heard Tony Evers' speech, and he is now the 46th governor of the state of Wisconsin. He was talking about a number of things, including... Um, need to fully fund public schools, a solution to transportation crisis, guarantee health care for everybody. Um, 870,000 people in this state can't afford basic necessities and says we have to deal with that. And then calling for kindness, respect, empathy, compassion and civility. I, I, I did make a note of that because we'll we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. Moving forward, I mean, I, I was struck in the contrast, and I sent a tweet out about this over the weekend, um, and you can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. Now, last week, you had the newly elected Democratic Congresswoman woman from Michigan who decided to talk about how she described the president and said, "We're going to impeach the." And it's a twelve letter word that I can't say on on the radio. And I was I was wondering about respect compassion, civility, kindness. How would, would Tony Evers feel uh, about that? And the interesting thing, again, moving forward is going to be how do we, that that's fine. I mean, I'm all in favor of a, of a kinder, gentler, higher sort of discussion. But the question is, is everybody else going to end up buying in on that? You know, it is interesting. During Barack Obama, President Obama's first State of the Union address, you might remember a congressman from California. His name is Joe Wilson. And during the inauguration, during the first State of the Union address, he w- President Obama was talking about something, and Congressman Wilson said, you lie. It's not like he stood up and screamed it out, but he said, you lie. He was reprimanded by the House of Representatives. Hmm. All right, so 10 years later, you can apparently use that term to describe the President of the United States, that 12 letter term that the Congresswoman used. Huh. It's amazing how we've kind of transitioned over the space of a decade and not necessarily for the better. But we'll, we will see and we will hold Governor Evers to, you know, his calls for kindness, respect empathy compassion and civility and not just from governor evers but again from you know other members of of both parties so we'll we'll see how that all plays out before we talk about the future and and now the Tony Evers is the governor. Now we, we will be talking a lot about the future and changes that you have to see made or that he wants to see made, etc. I think it is appropriate to spend at least one section talking about the, the past and the legacy of now former governor Scott Walker. It was an amazing and I, I don't whether whether you agree with Scott Walker or not. I, I think that you can agree with the term amazing um, eight years as far, particularly, particularly the first four years of the Walker administration, when you look at what what I think was essentially a transformative approach to state government, and then you look at the second um, term, and you saw things, including I, I think Foxconn, which is going to go down as one of the the truly transformative success stories. Now I understand that there's some people out there who have been because it was an initiative of Governor Walker. have been hoping it fails. I don't believe it's going to fail. But you've had a transition, really a transformative eight years. Wisconsin government, Wisconsin policy, Wisconsin law looks completely different today than it did eight years ago, for better or for worse. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, here is my question. Let's look backward one final time. What will the legacy of Governor Walker be two years from now, four years from now, ten years from now? Will people be saying, boy, Governor Walker, Scott Walker really accomplished a lot He's still a relatively young man. He's still a young man um, from political purpose. Do we want to see him get back involved in politics or is the legacy going to be, my God, here's a guy who almost destroyed the state of Wisconsin. Um, You know, it's amazing that we survived the last eight years. What is the legacy of Scott Walker going to be? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? 414 799 1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 114 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
6: Rainy days and always get me down. It's
0: 117. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It is a rainy day. It is a Monday. For some people, the sun is shining because Tony Evers has just been inaugurated as Wisconsin's 46th governor. For other people, not so good because Scott Walker leaves after two terms. We're going to spend a segment here looking back on the Walker administration. What is his legacy going to be? All right. Here's the text. This is we'll start it off. Get over it. Walker is out. The sky is not falling. I thought Democrats were sore losers. Okay. Karen in Franksville text Act 10. That's his legacy. Good ridden Scotty. So, okay, we've got our first two texters. They don't appear to be buying into the Tony Evers notion of kindness, respect, empathy, compassion, and civility, but that's okay. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mike on the Northwest side. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon.
2: Yeah. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, Scott Walker's uh, legacy is Act 10. He brought the uh, state workers and teachers into the Real world of other people that are working in other jobs, and uh, Foxconn bringing Foxconn in here is a huge thing. It's going to be the uh,
5: future of Wisconsin.
0: Do you think? Do you think Act Ten is going to survive five years from now? Ten years from now, will will we be where we are now, or do you think that collective bargaining rights in full will be restored to workers?
2: Uh, well, I think it's going to go somewhat back to the unions, but uh, that's my thought. They're going to get something back, but uh, not everything.
0: Okay, thanks for the call. Well, it, it is interesting. That's going to be—I mean—that's that, going to be the question because no matter how you look at it, when you look at the the agenda that Tony Evers is laying out, you're you're talking about massive expenditures of public money. And, and again, I'm not going to be judgmental about that. There'll be plenty of time to talk about that moving forward. But you know, he's talking about you know all day pre kindergarten fully funding public schools, whatever that means, solution to the transportation crisis, health care for all, all those different types of things that are great, but they're going to end up costing a, a ton of money. So the question's going to become, where is that money going to come from? And uh, again, if you go back to the old days where you had collective bargaining, that's going to increase costs as well. So it'll be curious to see how that all plays out. I think you're right, Mike. Uh, un- unquestionably, when you look back at the legacy of Scott Walker Act 10 is going to be the, the, the major thing that everybody remembers. Just like when you look back at the, the tenure of Governor Tommy Thompson, the thing that people remember is is welfare reform. You know, up until, you know, Governor Thompson, you know, you had you know, we, we were viewed as, as a one of the welfare magnets in the country. N- not so much anymore. Mark in Hartland, Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hello
8: hi great great topic again um, i would say i think if you look at it objectively across the board governor walker's legacy is going to be pull a, pulling a state that was in trouble eight nine years ago and in every area economically politically um, job-wise um, even believe it or not cleaner air companies moving into wisconsin um, i know somebody in the department of industry and human relations and we have a chronic Job applicant shortage in our state because of how healthy our economy is. I grew up in Wisconsin. I can tell you eight or nine years ago, we weren't balancing our budget. We had 10% unemployment, et cetera, et cetera. To make it all short, Jeff, I think that as time goes on, and I hate to compare it to a national level, but I will, we're going to look at Governor Walker as the equivalent to Ronald Reagan, where five, ten years later, we realized just how good a job he did. I think also on the other side of the aisle, historians will tell you during President Truman's mm-hmm. administration for six or eight years, he was the guy that fired General MacArthur, and he had a number of problems in his actually second term. He took right. over when, when Roosevelt died. Historians and economists will tell you now he had one of the lowest presidential ratings in american history and now 30 or 40 years later they look at him they rate him in the top five six presidents of all time as a democrat so i'll go to the other side too as time goes on we're going to realize just how good a job walker did
0: thanks to call you you're absolutely right you're actually you're right about of course harry truman who When he left office, he was not regarded very well. And over the last several decades, people have come to reassess the Truman administration and say, you know what? I mean, a lot of the things that he ended up doing worked out pretty well. Uh, I, I think the question is going to be, in many respects, with regard to Governor Walker, and his legacy will, will things continue? Um, and at least in the short term, while Republicans control overwhelming majorities in the state Senate and the state assembly, you're, you're not going to have a, that's the reality. You're not going to have a rollback of, for example, Act 10. That's just flat out not going to happen because a governor simply can't do that. Now, can you have a rearrangement of spending priorities? Perhaps. You know, perhaps. I don't see that you're going to have massive tax increases, um, because the Republican majority in the Assembly and the Senate isn't going to go along with that. They're, they're just not. So I don't see Walker's legacy being significantly eroded anytime soon. 414 799 1620. Let's talk to Leonard on the north side. Leonard, good afternoon.
9: Good afternoon, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Let me try and get my three points in here. One is Foxconn. Foxconn's great on pro jobs. My problem is we've got 300,000 African Americans who want to work, who want to move up economically. Where's the connection between Foxconn and some of those programs, the Urban League and the Foxconn, the SDC and the Foxconn, Maximus, the Rosses, and those employment programs, and Foxconn. There was no conduit made between Foxconn and Central City, Milwaukee, where you want to get those people off welfare Where's the connection with those jobs. Two, I really had a problem with his wanting to drug screen food stamp recipients. Mm-hmm. Give me a break. The money you would use for the drug screening, you could use to add to training for individuals to, to get more jobs. Uh, three, I just um, think that he could have done a better job in, in moving up the income level with people. There were jobs. The economy moved on. Some will uh, can say it was actually through Obama, but um, th- the problem I had with is the uh, family-sustaining jobs. You guys are against people making $15 an hour. You're against the. Uh, oh, no, don't get me wrong, Leonard. I'm not. When you wage. say you
0: guys, don't get me wrong, Leonard. I'm not against people making fifteen dollars an hour. I'm against the government mandating that you take a job that's only worth ten dollars an hour and forcing private employers to pay fifteen dollars an hour. There's a difference.
9: There, that's fine. Here's the other end of that. You got the the CEOs of these companies making millions and millions of dollars. A CEO with Pizza Hut makes sixteen million a year. Let's take ten of that and give it back to the employees and let them make six million a year. Well, again, if I'm,
0: I'm okay, here's, here's the deal. If you want to talk about economic development and 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 revitalization stuff, that that's okay. Uh, but but here's the bottom line of all this. I mean, again, I if if you want to go after Scott Walker and say, well, there, there's still too many poor people. Oh, okay, that that's fine. If you want to talk about Foxconn, one of the things that I would say is it's unfortunate that you had with one or two exceptions, more Milwaukee Democrats who didn't get on board and vote for the Foxconn legislation and, and maybe try to do exactly what you were talking about, saying, hey, we're willing to support this, and, and let's see if we can work to modify some of these things. Let's see if we can get a way to, I don't know, find a way to take people, for example, in the inner city of Milwaukee who desperately want jobs and, and get them to the Foxconn thing instead of simply saying, no, that we're, we're going to vote against it. And again, I want to be real clear when it comes to minimum wage – I'm not against when it comes to salaries, I'm not against people making fifteen dollars an hour. I mean I I think I think people should be paid what jobs are worth. I am against the government saying, All right, the free market says this job is worth ten dollars an hour, so but we're going to require you to pay fifteen dollars an hour. I, I think Candidly, that's going to prove to be a disaster. It's already not working out well in some of the cities that have done it. And, for example, fast food. One of the things that's going on quite a bit with fast food is you pay people $15 an hour. The job is only worth 9 or $10 an hour, and what what do the companies do? Well, they cut back people's hours, or they put in a kiosk for $3,000 that lets them lay off three people. I mean, those are just some of the dynamics that are going on. My take on this, I, I think, again, you've got to give it a little bit of time, but I believe that five years from now, 10 years from now, assuming that a lot of the initiatives of Governor Walker are still in place, assuming that they are are not dismantled. I think Wisconsin is going to continue to be in a very strong shape economically. I think Foxconn is going to be transformative. And I think the legacy of Scott Walker, once especially we we get away from some of the just well, the, the, and I'm, you can look at it from both sides. Some of the tribalization that's been going on politically. I think the legacy of Scott Walker is going to be pretty darn good. It's 127. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 137. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. I want to double back on something we started off the program on, on Friday about. Um, in the middle of last week, that there was a huge decline in the stock market. And it was driven by Apple, the company Apple, reporting that they were gonna miss their earnings target by like nine B as in billion dollars, bunch of stuff. Apple is, that was the first U.S. company this summer to hit a market capitalization value, the value of, of their stock, all the outstanding stock of, of a trillion dollars. And, and Apple has, has gone down dramatically. I think it's, at one point in time, their stock was trading for more than 230 bucks, and now it's down to around like 140 or something like that. Now it's still a very, very successful company. It's worth a lot. And the truth is, all of us, who have any sort of money invested in the stock market, whether it's you have mutual funds or you have 401ks that have mutual funds, you should care about how Apple does because my guess is most of us all one way or the other own some shares of, of Apple, again, through whether it's 401ks or or whatever. But Apple really has been having, there, there, there's two problems. One is the fact that, They had counted on the China market, but, you know, China is developing. And so they had counted on the China market as being this next new area as China, as more and more as Chinese, as as China gets more economic development, they're going to want iPhones and they're going to want to go buy the Apple products. That is not working out as they expected they're not selling as much product as they hope for in china and there's a variety of reasons for it the second problem they have is closer to home for years what drove the success of apple was their innovation once they brought back apple founder steve jobs for his second run you you really had that this period of almost a decade of incredible innovation before before the MP3 players and things like that, and that was an Apple creation. You know, people would walk around with Walkmans. Jordan, who's producing the show, did you even remember? You know what a Walkman was? You do. I mean, a, a Walkman. It, you would you would you would put a cassette tape in a Walkman and, you know, listen to it that way. And then you had the, the other, the, the Walkman players that you could put your your CD in and you could flip it shut, you could walk around and you could carry it and you could listen to one CD at a time. All right. Well, you know, Apple, Apple changed that. You had the Apple, the, the MP3 player. So you could have five hundred, a thousand, you know, two thousand, four thousand songs that just you, you carried around in something as as big as a cigarette pack and it would all be there. That was an innovation from Apple. You had the um, the the iPods So, you know, you, you don't need to have the lug around your, your personal computer. You could have everything you want on, on that, that tablet, the, the, you know, the iPod that was out there. And of course, um, you also then had the, the whole development of the iPhone, which in certain respects is made like a laptop computer to be a laptop computer essentially, well, unnecessary in many respects because these things that we hold in our hands and have in our pockets right now can do most of the things that, I don't know, your your computer, your home computer can do. And now it's, it's right in, in your pocket. So those were these periods of innovation and the next best thing where, you know, everybody had to have it. So it's like, all right, fine. But what's happened is that innovation has stalled. And pretty much now in this country, everybody that wants an iPhone, a smartphone, has one. Now, I I understand that there's always young people that are, again, aging into it. You you have the 8-year-old who wants the phone. You're not going to buy him it. The kid turns 12, you get him an iPhone. So there's always going to be some potential new users that are out there. But for most people... If you want a smartphone, you've bought the smartphone. You've got it. And here's one of the things that they are finding. The number of people who replace their existing smartphones is a lot less than the people who want one in the first place. I mean, everybody has one. And that's why I say I'm, I'm part of Apple's. I'm one of the reasons that Apple isn't doing as well. I love the iPhone. Don't get me wrong. I've got an iPhone. My iPhone is... Probably at least five years old, maybe, maybe more. But you know what? I don't feel a desire to replace it. Well, Jeff, how can you go and not replace this? Well, it's because it does pretty much everything that I want it to do. Does it have as big a screen as the newer ones do? No, it doesn't. Okay, I I can see that. Um, Does it, if you want to take pictures with it, does it have as cool a a view and can you do the dual lens and things like that? No, it can't. But you know what? I don't really need that. I don't miss it. Maybe if I had that new feature, I'd like it, but I'm not going to spend $800 or $1,000 to go out and get the, the new ones. Matter of fact, I told this story before. I was, where were we? We were at, uh, we were at Jerry Kramer's Hall of Fame initiation thing in Canton, Ohio. My, my iPhone, the battery died. All right. Battery died on this. Well, for $40, I was able to get a completely new battery. And again, now I'm perfectly happy with the old iPhone. There was a story in the New York Times over the weekend. The headline was Apple's Biggest Problem, My Mom. Uh, the, the reporter writes, the biggest issue for Apple isn't China. It might exist much closer to home, in a small, leafy town in Ohio. That's where my mom lives. She's a relatively tech-savvy retiree and a longtime Apple fan who has used many of the company's products over the years. I learned to type on an Apple GS at her office. She was an early adopter of the original turquoise iMac. These days, she uses her iPhone to check Facebook and Instagram, talk with her friends and relatives, and play solitaire and words with friends. I've gotten into words with friends, too. I, I have. I You know, it's just... It, it, it is incredibly addicting, and, and I, I've gotten into it. Anyhow, uh, the story continues. Her phone isn't the latest model. It's a three-year-old iPhone 6S, and it's missing some of the latest pictures features. She can't take portrait mode photos using a dual-lens camera, a feature introduced on the iPhone 7 Plus. She can't unlock her phone using Face ID, which was introduced in the iPhone Uh, 10 in 2017. Her phone's battery life could probably be better, and the device sometimes runs out of storage space. But you know what? She's happy with it and doesn't feel the need to upgrade. She also has a first-generation Apple Watch and a several versions ago MacBook Air, neither of which she's planning to replace anytime soon. Um, when I call her to ask her why she hasn't upgraded to one of the newer models, she says, the phone I have does just about everything I need. Why pay $800 for a new one just to be up to date? My needs aren't that complicated. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I got to tell you, this, this sort of describes me. Now, there will, I guess, be a time where my my old phone becomes obsolete because you you can't run programs on it or, or whatever. I mean, I, I understand that eventually is going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet, and I don't think it's going to happen, at least for the foreseeable future. So I'm of sitting here saying, okay, it's not the latest bell and whistle, but do I want to go out and spend $800 or $1,000 on something new, or do I just keep what I like when I can get the new battery for 40 bucks and it continues to work? All right, 414-799-1620. I think this at its heart is going to be the biggest problem apple faces and that is that unless they've got some new mousetrap that they're out there and they're going to be able to sell the reality is there's a whole lot of us who are keeping our products we're keeping our phones longer we don't feel this desire to trade them in and get the new newest bell and whistle does that describe you Or do you have to be that person, that guy, that gal, oh, they've got the latest thing that's coming out, I've got to upgrade, I've got to trade it in. I just think there's a lot of us out there that we're happy with what we have, and until our existing phone becomes obsolete, we're not going to be rushing out to spend $800 or $1,000 or whatever. 414-799-1620, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, hold on. Is Apple in trouble unless they can come up with a new innovation, the new mousetrap, because um, that's just kind of the biggest problem I see. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 149, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I, I never interpret the radar, but it's it looks like the worst of the rain is now moving through the area and getting ready to head out over Lake Michigan. And, and there's some there's some rain behind it, but um, you can see on our radar screen, you can see kind of like the back edge, which is. Oconomowoc, and then, you know, to the west, it looks like it's relatively clear. So my, my guess is, and that's consistent with the forecast, the rain is going to, I think, kind of wind down as the afternoon goes on. But um, some heavy rain moving through the area right now. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. You know, for, for people who are wondering, gee, what, what's going on with Apple? And Apple's a great company. Their big problem is, you know, they're a victim in some respects of their own success. You have these smartphones, but now everybody that's out there has a smartphone, and people, myself included, just don't see this overwhelming need to to upgrade. And after everybody has one of your product, how do you keep making money unless you can convince people to do that upgrade? Kathy in Germantown. Hi, Kathy. You're on WTMJ. Hi. How you doing? Real well, thank you. I'm not in a hurry to trade in my phone. How about you?
1: Oh, not at all. You know what? They're so expensive to get new that unless something goes majorly wrong with me, with mine. I'm keeping it. I'll keep it as long as I possibly can.
0: Right. Um, And, again, there there might be now they're, they're talking about these, you know, these 5G networks and stuff like that. I mean, there might be a point. Like, I had an old personal computer that had a um a windows system that that they no what they stopped supporting and so so the thing became essentially useless but until that happens i i don't know i like my phone i, I just explain to me why should i spend a thousand dollars on a new phone that's actually a lot bigger than the one i have and it's going to be more difficult for me to carry around
1: Absolutely, and you know what? Always with a new phone, there's so many new problems and learning it all over again. I like my phone; it <laughs> yeah. does what I needed to do. I'm good with it.
0: You know, it's funny you should mention that, Kathy. I ran in. I, I have an acquaintance, and I ran into him the other day, and he was showing me his new iPhone 10, whatever. And he said, "There's only one problem with it." He said, "When I left the store, they forgot to show me how to turn it on and off." He said, I, oh, "I'm used to goodness. having this button here. I I don't know where this is." And now, now he ultimately, I saw him the next day, and he said he figured it out. But yeah. It's you get comfortable with the stuff, and unless unless the new the new shiny object has a lot of new stuff, I don't feel I need to drop a thousand dollars to get it.
1: Absolutely, and like I said, unless they can make it an incentive, I would get a new one if the incentive for the price would be a lot better. Right, but I'm sorry, that expense is huge. Right, no, I'll thank. Keep mine as long as I can.
0: Yeah, no, no, thanks. Thanks for the call. Let's talk to Troy in Wauwatosa. Hi, Troy. You're on WTMJ.
5: Hey, Happy New Year. Same to you, sir. Good. Yeah, you know, I think this is just ridiculous. I've had an Android for I don't know how many years. It does everything I need to do. I can email from it, Facebook, um, Uber, uh, for my business, everything I can do from this Android. So, and this Android only cost me $120. So, if I drop it and break it, oh, guess what? (laughs) I'm I'm buying another for $120, not $1,000. You know, it's like... Everything you want to do, you can do on a simple phone unless you're just trying to be like a, like do yeah. things that are like out of the ordinary which right. most of us aren't
0: doing well so. right i mean my guess is my guess is the camera on your phone is nowhere near as good as the camera on some of these new ones but who care i mean i'm not a yeah. professional photographer if i want to take a <laughs> picture of 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 me and my niece sitting at a mexican restaurant on saturday night and post it on the internet i can do that with the phone i have i don't care if it doesn't have the dual technology or stuff i don't need that
5: Oh, exactly. You know, it was even funny last night. I was with some friends, and we were doing this. They were doing something on Facebook where we were all together on, like, six things, and everybody had a different phone. Right, <laughs> and, you know, and I, and I had an Android, and mine worked just as well as theirs doing it. It's it, like, but I only paid one hundred twenty
4: dollars. <laughs> well, exactly. No,
0: thanks. For, and see, and that that's it. Now, look, I'm not discouraging people from from doing this, but I, I think see, this is this is the reality of, of what's going on now, and it happens with lots and lots of companies. I mean, this is what what Apple is going through now is the same thing that well, we when we talked about this last week, Texas Instruments. Um, there was a time Texas Instruments was a leader in making handheld. Calculators, and if you were of a certain age, you know that that was the, you had to have it. I mean, I'm not talking about adding machines. I'm talking about the handheld calculators, and that's all that they did. But everybody had one of those, and you had to have one. Well, nowadays that technology, I mean, on your smartphone, you've got the calculator. You don't need to drop 120 dollars to go out and buy a handheld calculator. And so, you know, Texas Instruments, which for a while was one of the hottest companies around, because that's what they made. Well, okay, their product. People don't need it that much anymore. So you get this different dynamic. That is the challenge for Apple, which has been a great American company, which is what is, is there this next innovation? Is there is there this not better mousetrap? Because you build them. I mean, everybody's got the mousetrap. The mousetrap is the the iPhone. It's not can you build a better mousetrap. But can you build a, a different mousetrap, something that does something completely different? What is going to be that innovative product? And if they can't, I, I think you know they're they're going to uh, again, they're always going to be a successful company, but they're gonna they're gonna struggle, and there's going to be somebody else that's going to come up and come up with what the next new development is. I don't know what that's going to be, but. That's what the challenge ends up being to all these things. And it's, again, one of the reasons why Apple struggled. But the truth of the matter is, for people who are wondering, gee, what, what's the problem? And, you know, why did Apple go down? And what's the nature of this? It, it's just cyclical. It, it is. And we are all, in many respects, Apple's biggest problem. And, and you see this, you see it a lot. I've seen it a lot over my over my lifetime. I remember, I remember back when you'd have the VHS players, you know, which played the the tapes that looked like large cassette tapes, and you'd put those in, and and then you had the VHS versus Betamax, and that was the big debate, and then VHS won out, and that became the industry standard, so then you had the VHS tapes, And then, all right, then they came out with DVDs, and everybody had to have the DVD player. Then you had the Blu-ray discs, so everybody had to buy the Blu-ray disc DVD player, and DVD players became obsolete, and VHS players became obsolete, and Betamax players became obsolete. Well, now all that stuff is obsolete because you've got everything's on demand and streaming and all that type of stuff. I mean, people don't go out, and I I, I understand that they still sell Blu-ray disc players, but they sell them for, you know $49 they don't sell them for $490 because uh, again that that's they're going to be dinosaurs relatively soon it's just the challenge of technology okay when we come back what about a top tax rate of 70% and tsa screeners are calling in sick what should we do about it stick around 156 Jeff Wagner WTMJ it's 207 Jeff Wagner WTMJ 46 degrees on a rainy It is a rainy day. It is a Monday, but it looks like the most of the rain is now out over Lake Michigan. Um, Looks like it's still going to be kind of a dreary day, a little bit of showers and stuff like that. But I think the worst is uh, I think the worst is over. That is my interpretation of the radar. Our federal income tax system is what is known as a progressive income tax system. By that what they mean when you hear that is that depending those people, as you make more money, the rate progresses. In other words, it gets higher. For example, um, there are some taxes that are, are what's known as, as regressive. A, a sales tax, for example, is a regressive tax because it, it doesn't matter whether you make $5,000 or $500,000, everybody pays the same Sales tax, the same percentage. It does. Gas tax is a regressive tax. It doesn't matter if you make twenty thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars. Everybody pays you know, thirty-two cents a gallon or thirty-three cents a gallon or whatever it is in sales tax. For the income tax, the federal income tax, it is progressive. Here's how it works. I think under the new tax brackets, um, for the first twelve thousand dollars, for the fir- let's let's take a married couple. Okay, let us take married um, couples filing a joint tax return, and I don't want to get into kids or anything like that. Married couple, um, essentially, the first nineteen grand is pretty much free. Then, on the amount you make between nineteen thousand and seventy seven thousand, you pay you pay twelve percent, right? So that amount you're going to pay twelve percent. Then on the amount between seventy seven thousand and hundred and sixty-five thousand, you pay twenty-two percent. So you're paying different rates. Let, let's say you make one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Okay, well, you're not you're not paying twenty-two percent on all that hundred fifty grand for the first. The amount between 19 and 77, you pay 12%, then you pay 22% on the difference between 77,000 and however you make. So there's all these different brackets. Above 160, on money you make above 165,000, you pay 24%. On the amount above 315,000 you then pay 32%. So you see it 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 goes up. You don't pay 32% on all your income. You pay 32% on in this case it would be the amount over 315,000. So there's different brackets. So when somebody says, okay, you make $500,000 and the bracket is 37%, well, you you don't pay 37% on all $500,000. It it increases. And so that's what they talk about when they talk about marginal tax rates. But nevertheless, it still is a progressive tax system in the sense that the more money you make, the more money you pay. On top of that, one of the things that we know is that most of the tax uh, most of the tax money that's raised comes from a very small percentage of taxpayers that the last numbers i was able to pull was from like 2015 so but but it, it's been pretty standard 1% of all taxpayers pay about 40% of all the taxes so the vast majority of the money that the federal government gets comes from a very small number relatively small number of people in comparison who are the highest income earners and Even if you don't pay federal tax, I I also, I mean, I understand that you pay other taxes. You'll pay the gas tax. You would perhaps pay property tax if you owe things, you know. So I, you pay sales tax. So, but when it comes to income taxes and the money that, you know, what we use income taxes for, it is a small number of people who pay the vast majority. And you already have this progressive system. The way it works right now is the top tax bracket under the new law is 37%. And that kicks in at $600,000. So the way this works now is any income you make, and in my example, we're talking about like a husband and wife, married couple filing jointly, any income above $600,000 is taxed at a rate of 37%. That's the highest bracket right now. There are a number of Liberal Democrats who have just been sworn in in Congress and the one who's getting the, the most attention is this very, very liberal Congresswoman from New York, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and and she she was on 60 Minutes last night, and she's kind of the face of the, the new left, and what she is saying is that we need to revamp our, our tax system, and what we need to do, because the – rich are not paying enough money what we need to do is we need to increase the marginal tax brackets and she's saying i would favor increasing again the marginal tax brackets up to perhaps 70 percent of people's income for the highest income earners so she's saying, hey, for example, if you're at the tippy top, if you're making, you know, ten million dollars, I think what you should have to do is pay seventy percent in tax on the amount that you make over ten million dollars. Now, one of the things that nobody's asked her about is all right, what about the people between six hundred thousand and ten million? Presumably you are going to be talking about increasing their marginal tax rate a- as well. In other words, making the people who make more money pay more money for again making money over certain levels this is the idea and the idea is here we're going to do this we're going to increase these taxes and then we're going to use this money to fund solar power and things like that All right 4147991620 that is the Acunet mortgage talk and text line let's tee this up is is this a good strategy this kind of Let's go after the wealthier Americans. Now, in this case, wealthy isn't really defined as people who have accumulated a lot of assets. This is defined as people who are earning a lot of, of money. All right. Is it appropriate to say, you know what? You make, you and your wife make $600,000. All right. Total. Your 37% isn't enough. You need to pay more than that. 4147991620 and if we start doing this what are the consequences of this going to be now historically there was a much higher tax rate back before president reagan took over I mean, you had tax rates that were approaching 70% top tax rates then. Now, what's different is you had all these loopholes and you had all these deductions and you had all these credits that reduced the effective tax rate dramatically. We have a more simple system now, but let's let's tee this up. I mean, should we be imposing higher tax rates on the people that are making more money? Do they not pay enough? And if we do... What are the consequences going to be? Let's start with Jim in Plymouth. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
5: Yeah, hi. Thank hi, you. My take on this is absolutely not because the people with money are smart enough to know in this country that they will leave. And then you can have your socialist world with all these people with no money trying to support all their programs and everybody will be poor. The people well, with money will leave.
0: Well, let, let me give you, you know, Jim, I, I'm with you entirely, and let me give you an example. One of the things is we have very, very high comparatively corporate tax rates in this country, and you have a number of other countries that don't. So let's take locally. Johnson Controls, an example. What does Johnson Controls do? They move their corporate headquarters to Ireland because Ireland has a lot lower tax rate. And, you know, that... That changes. Talk to anybody that works at Johnson Controls, and they're going to tell you that that dynamic has changed dramatically. But that's a corporation that moved because of taxes. And I think individuals. I think you're right. They operate the same way. Exactly. Yeah. No. Th- no. Thanks for call. I mean that. That's because they have these different. They have these different choices. And I will tell you, if you, at least in my opinion, if you start slapping a confiscatory tax on the people who are already. Essentially, paying for a good portion, if not most, of the government what 's going to happen is is one of two things number one they're going to simply decide well I, I okay i i don't want to work that hard if If for every dollar I make, I now have to give four forty cents for every ten dollars I make i've got to give four dollars to the federal government. Well, maybe it's like, okay, well, I, I don't I don't want to work that hard. It's not worth it to have to do that type of stuff. 414-799-1620, is this a good idea to soak the rich, or will there be, uh, again, some sort of backlash? And in this case, trust me, I'm, I'm never going to make $10 million a year. I'm not going to make $5 million a year. But what about the people who do? I mean, do they not pay their fair share? All right, we continue the conversation just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on two seventeen. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two twenty Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's the the face of the new left that, that's taken over Congress, she's out saying, okay, what we, we need to do is we need to increase our marginal tax rates to to up to 70%. Right now it tops out at 37%. So what she says is the people who make money, they need to pay more. And so the more money you make, the higher your tax rate would be. She says we have to top it out at 70%. My guess is what she would also then support is, uh, again, increasing the marginal tax rate from 37% for some people to 45%, then to 50%, and then up to 70%. If you did that, our tax rate would be the highest income tax rate in the developed world highest in the developed world my position is, and this comes from the perspective of somebody who's not making $10 million a year, this would be an absolute disaster. 414 Here's Chris's text. Jeff, if people are making that much money and they see their tax rate go to 70%, you will see money leave the shores of the U.S. like never before. Business investment would go away. Socialism in America will resemble what happened in Venezuela. Here's another text. Don't cry for me, Argentina. Once one of the wealthiest countries in the world it's now gone because of these programs they taxed the wealthy it did not work people bailed on this 414-799-1620 let's talk to Dave in Brookfield Dave you're on WTMJ hello
5: hey good afternoon how Hi are Dave. you
0: i am well thank you would this be an idea that
5: works i think it's an absolutely horrific idea i think of two different areas in my in my life right now i'm starting a new business and it, it basically, it's going to be a one-person operation. And the reason why I'll never have a second employee has got to do with all the headaches, all the costs associated with having that additional employee right. for such a little bit amount that I would be getting back. Right. And I also and I also think about the, the the business I'm coming out of is a commission-based sales uh, role, where we now have a different. Uh, structure set in place once we hit what we call the the the, the base quotas for the month mm-hmm. it's funny to see but myself and a lot of co-workers don't feel they want to stretch themselves beyond that because there's such a little bit of that sure. they receive for doing just that it's it's just it's just causing a lot of stagnancy and it's not causing me to want to really dream about going up 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 like uh, like right. we should be in this country,
0: right? Which is which is horrible for this country, where you have essentially what you're saying is the structure is there's no economic once you reach a certain point, there's no economic incentive to work work harder or be even more successful because most of your money ends up going to the government or or whatever so it's like okay why bust my butt for another five working another five or ten hours of overtime every week just to make essentially to be paying the the government most of that money and go ahead
5: it's almost de-incentivized i mean it's not even like it's on par with the other portion it literally goes down Right. That's,
0: that's what the problem is. It's insane. Well, right. No, exactly. I mean, thanks for calling. And that's, I mean, look, I understand the class warfare aspect of this. I mean, and I, and I get it. Well, you know, so what's wrong if you're making $10 million? Well, uh, of course, you, you should pay 70% on everything above that. Well, okay. Well, those are the people, again, that are going to have these choices as to, you know, where they're going to go and where they're going to locate. And if you want to talk about this country being in trouble, take those people, who are what we'll call the super wealthy, and give them an incentive to leave this country, and you don't think they can? Well, of course they can, and they can still make all sorts of money but not pay these confiscatory tax rates, and you start to pull the, the high-income earners and the high uh, highly-taxed people out, and then you've really got a problem. Or, like Dave was talking about, you create a disincentive for people to work. And, by the way, you, you see this in all sorts of, of things already. Let's take the Medicare situation. I don't know if you realize this, but but Medicare is essentially means-tested. If you make a certain amount of money... Now, Medicare is the same for everybody, if you qualify for it. I mean, so you don't get more services if you pay more money to Medicare. All right, if you and your spouse make X amount of dollars, Medicare costs a certain amount. If you make more than X amount of dollars... Um, It costs you more if you more make more than X plus whatever it costs you even more. So this cottage industry is developed with tax people saying, "Okay, well, you know, maybe what you want to do is you want to make sure you don't earn more money because if you do earn more money, then you're going to have to pay more in Medicare. and And it's the same Medicare for everybody. But you have these disincentives to go out and work or make money or whatever. And I'm sorry, I think that's bad for this country paul and jackson paul you're on wtmj good afternoon
3: yes thanks for taking my call and sure. it goes this goes back right to if you don't understand your history you're bound to repeat it we lost all indust a lot of big corporations that took their headquarters and put them in ireland and right. they didn't even think two things about it and obama tried getting them back a lot of them came back after Trump changed the uh taxes now we we're going to have the same thing new york california and a lot of the big states that our Democrats were bitching up. Excuse the language. No, you can say
0: that first. word. We won't, We don't. Yeah. I don't like it, but you can say it. Okay, yeah. go ahead.
3: Yeah, we're really hollering about the fact that Trump changed the tax code where they couldn't deduct all anything more than ten thousand dollars, and now they're leaving those states. Now, right. what's going to happen when the rich people that can afford to move, not like not like us, the regular workers, right? But they can afford to move, they won't think twice about moving outside the country and having their money sit there. They want their money.
0: Right. Exactly. And they're not going to they're not going to, in many cases, they're not going to just sit around and, and 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 pay it out. No, thanks. You know, you know, it's interesting. You make the point. The last time the Democrats controlled the White House and the Senate and the House under Barack Obama, what they did is they raised the income tax top rate to just over 40 percent, right? just over 40 percent. Now, keep in mind, the, the, these newly elected very very aggressive democrats they 're not talking about going to forty percent they 're talking about going to sixty or seventy percent and taking everybody else with them along the way now one of the things that 's been troubling to me again is is people lose the lesson of of socialism and i i 've had the occasion recently i 've run into a number of people who are from other countries who live in the United States. And they're telling one horror story after another about the cost of all these different social programs and things like that, and these onerous tax burdens that go on in these different countries. I don't think we want the United States to become Venezuela. I don't think we want the United States to become Argentina. I don't think we want the United States to become France. And yet, that's the direction that some of these, I I think, political these folks with their their very strident political views but no sense of the real world have but yet it sounds good let's soak the rich let's make people pay more money well good as far as it goes 227 jeff wagner wtmj 235 jeff wagner wtmj just one final thought before we move on on this this tax rate thing i have an interesting text here it says jeff i don't get the dispute I would bet hardly any single person listening would even be affected by a seventy percent tax rate. Um, in other words, they're saying oh, there is no no. What they're saying is nobody that's listening right now makes more than ten million dollars, right? That uh, so so. Why do so many regular people carry water for the top tenth of a percent? Well, okay, well here is here is why, and here is the the big picture. And take it from the perspective of somebody who who I have I have some acquaintances and some friends who 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 do. Earn a lot of money, I, I and they're incredibly generous and good good folks, but they make decisions based on things like tax consequences, and, and they can. I know people, for example, in the high income brackets who have left the state of Wisconsin. At least they've they've changed their state residency and they've moved to low tax states, which doesn't mean they've given up their property in Wisconsin. they still have it, but they spend six months and one day in a state where there's no income tax, for example, so they don't have to pay that tax now now where where does that get us? What's the effect of it? Well, that means Wisconsin's not getting that income tax because they've made that decision with tax policy. Now, I understand for a lot of people a lot of average people you say well that's that that's just not me, but I mean again, if you understand the fact that for the federal system the the over an overwhelming majority of the overall taxes that are collected are paid by a relatively small number of people, and if you start giving The small number of people, the people at the highest end of the tax bracket, if you start penalizing them for what they're making, you give them incentives to, again, try to find ways around the taxes, whether it's, I I don't know, trying to create corporations that can hide the money legally, or whether it's simply saying, okay, we're, we're we're going to relocate. You know, 70%, a 70% tax rate would be the highest tax rate in the developed world. So we're going to try to relocate somewhere else. Now, some people would say that's not going to happen. Well, all right, the experience with raising rates excessively has not worked out in the past. And then if you're going to be doing this for the sake of, gee, we want to fund green power initiatives or whatever, It strikes me that that's going to be an electoral disaster. It has been every time you've had people talk about raising the marginal rates beyond a certain point. All right, maybe this will be different. Maybe we have this new generation of people who seem to think that, gee, socialism would be wonderful. Let's go after the wealthy. They don't pay their fair share of taxes. I'm just not at that point. Okay, let us completely and totally switch gears. The city of Madison has one of their representatives, one of the older women, and now this is an older woman who was um, responsible and was one of the ones who who pushed going after, fining people if they let their cars idle too long. Here Here is the proposal. Madison businesses that leave their doors or windows open too long While running air conditioners could be fined under a proposed ordinance to be introduced next week in the local fight against, wait for it, climate change, except in emergencies or when people or goods are going in or out of a business, it shall be unlawful to keep open any door or window of a building or a structure with a commercial use while an air conditioner is operating, according to this proposal. First offense fine would be $50, rising to $100 for second offense. Any third or subsequent offenses would cost $250 on each day. So it goes on and on. The argument is that, well, no, we need to do this. The mayor, the hippy-dippy mayor, Paul Soglin, says he thinks this makes sense. This is their efforts of global warming. You shouldn't be able to have that. If you've got that window that's open while you're running the air conditioning in your building, Well, you are contributing to global warming, and we in Madison, the People's Republic of, we should be fining you for that. All right, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Okay, so let's just kind of tee this up. You run a business. You have air conditioning in the business. And I don't know, maybe somebody on the third or fourth floor of the business decides, hey, the air conditioning doesn't really get up here. So I've got a window and I've left the window open because I want to get a little bit of a breeze in there. That would subject you to being fined. The only times you are allowed to run your air conditioning, no, the only things that can be open if you have your air conditioner on would be the door And that's only when people are going into and out of your business. Or presumably, you know, if you've got a loading dock or something, only when actively people are loading or unloading. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this government, uh, again, big government run amok? Or, hey, Jeff, don't you care about the planet? We need to find people if their windows are left open. And I guess my other question would be, if this is good enough for businesses, should we apply this to homes? I mean, why do we just stop at businesses? Shouldn't we be saying, hey, it's a warm day. You've got your air conditioning on. You've also got a window open or you've got a screen door open or something. We should find you for that. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Steve and Sheboygan. Steve, you're first. Hello.
5: Hey, how you doing? Real
0: well, thank you. Okay, do we need a law like this?
5: Well, I don't know. I think
9: there's a lot of things going on in this world, and I think uh, having lawmakers sit down and talk about something as silly as uh, having your windows open is a little bit ridiculous. I mean, if it's 90 degrees outside, uh, obviously you're going to have your air conditioning on. So now why would you have your air conditioning on if your windows are open? Um, And... With your air conditioning on, you're kind of sucking electricity, which is kind of the anti-global uh, warming stance. Uh,
0: well, right. I mean, you do. Thanks for No, I mean, I do kind of wonder. Right? Should we be saying, "Well, well, no, no electricity in the first place? Why are we running the, these air conditioning?" Look, I, I, I don't know. Can I can think of examples. Why, for example, particularly in older buildings, sometimes you know you you might run the air conditioning, for example, on the first floor, but it doesn't get up to the second floor or whatever but 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 regardless, I mean, is this really where we want government being? Do we really want the government police and and for example look as a business owner, I get it as a homeowner i I get it. Why would you have windows open? At the same time, you're running the air conditioning. I, I understand that. But is this really the role of government to come in and be the air conditioning police and say, hey, that, that third floor window, hey, that's open, and you've got the air conditioning running on the first floor. Boom, we're going to fine you. Four one four Let's talk to Katie in Burlington. Katie, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
1: Hi. This is one of the most useless things I've heard in a while, um, it's all for fluff. It's all for posing for holy pictures, and I'm making a difference, and I'm going to try to legislate morality and common sense. So you have a business, and they, they're they cleaning the bathroom or the kitchen and using chemicals and need extra ventilation. Right. And then you're going to come walking and say, oh, I see a window. Oh, I see AC unit. Oh, I'm going to go in and find them. Who, who is going to go around and enforce this? I mean, most businesses use common sense, but there are times where you're going to have both the AC on for, let's say, patrons, And someone cleaning or doing something or needs extra ventilation for safety. How do you make that judgment?
0: Right. Well, exactly. I mean, and I think of examples as somebody who lived in an older house for decades where, okay, the, the first floor, you turn the air conditioning on and it takes care of all of it, but the back bedroom all right, maybe, maybe you want to have a window open a little bit if you get a little bit of a breeze because the air conditioning doesn't really get into it that well. And oh, of course. Re- regardless, if I'm willing to pay for it uh, in the extra air conditioning, why in God's green earth, what business is it the government to come in and tell me I have no right to make that decision? What what What's next, Katie? Are we going to say, well, we've decided that you shouldn't be able to turn the air conditioning below 73 degrees in your business because, well, you're wasting that then.
1: It's absolutely one hundred percent all for feel good, post for holy pictures. I'm an advocate for a green earth, instead of doing common sense legislation that that makes a difference and. Yeah. That's all it is. That's all
0: it is. Now, thanks for calling again. And I, I mean, I look. I, I hate to use. If you're new to this program, I, I hate to use the slippery slope argument because I, I think sometimes you can get into these these tortured examples of this. But I mean, seriously, you you pass something like this, it is a slippery slope. All right. What what if we're going to say it's okay to tell businesses that you can't have a window open? All right. What what is the intellectual difference in telling homeowners you can't have a window open? Or again, it seems to me the next logical step is, well, all right, you can run your air conditioning, but, you know, why do you need to run it at 68? You know, we don't think you need to, we, being the powers that be in Madison, we don't think it needs to be, oh, less than 73. So that's going to be the rule. You know, we're going to have governors on the thermostats. You can't put it, you know, below 73. Again, I... I, I don't know. Some people like it hot. Some people like it cool. But to me, if you're a business owner or you're a homeowner or whatever, recognizing you're going to have to pay for it. If if you're willing to pay to run the air conditioner while you've got a second floor window open for whatever, I think you should have a right to do it. This is America, at least last time I checked. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Heidi in Milwaukee. Heidi, good afternoon.
1: Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Um, yeah, my understanding is uh, in terms of housing, anything four units or higher is considered commercial real estate. So I'm just wondering, even in the housing market, how who's going to police that? You know, if you have some in-unit air conditioners, some people want to have their windows open, some people want to run their air conditioner. Yeah. Uh, you may have a commercial real estate, you know, a commercial space down below. How do you structure that? And if, if you were the property manager, who how would you put that language in your contract if you're managing? you know um, you know that's a a, right
0: that that. that, yeah and and I don't I mean thanks to that's a very good question I don't I don't know because the ordinance the ordinance applies to commercial businesses but like what you're saying is what what do you do where you have like the commercial business that that like okay let's take the most most direct example you've got you you own a building there's a bar on the first floor and there's four apartments on the second floor above above the bar um does it does it apply could you if i'm renting on the second floor could i could i lift the window up if i like to get fresh air in and i don't care if it's 80 degrees i i mean it, it it's all these different sort of questions that are out there and but but this is the bigger reason why do you really need the government involved in this? Do you want the government telling you that you, when you can open a window or not, if you have the air conditioning on? Do you want the government telling you that you can't put the air conditioning lower than 72 or the heat higher than 72? I'm sensitive to this because my my lovely and charming wife and I, we have just two different sensibilities. She likes to turn the heat down really, really low at night and... I don't like to do that. Now, she wins these battles because I, I really, really like being married and I'm willing to give in on this type of stuff. But but these are these different battles that, that go on, and she actually saves us money because we turn the heat down to some ridiculous level at, at night. But that's okay. That That's okay. That's a decision that we're making. Do you need the government to do this? I guess in Madison, the answer is yes. It's 248, Jeff Wagner, W T. 250, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. President Trump. Asking for time from all the networks to make an Oval Office address tomorrow night, 8 p.m., our time. It's unclear. I I think that's been granted by all the networks, but... Apparently, the story is they're reluctant to do this because they're afraid it's going to be a political speech. He wants to talk about the uh, humanitarian and national security crisis on the southern border. This is all part of the ongoing government shutdown. But President Trump wants to deliver a primetime address tomorrow night. Uh, The first question is going to be, will the networks really give him the time? The preliminary answer, I think, is yes. But then, you know, what's he going to end up saying? I... You know, I will tell you, and I, I've said this, and I got some hostile email over the weekend, but that's okay. I can live with it. The, the this, I think this ongoing government shutdown is is the wrong thing in the wrong battle at this particular time. I understand border security is important, and and I get it. I don't necessarily, and I've been saying this for two years now. I don't necessarily think that I, I believe that a few miles of of fencing is worth shutting down a good portion of of the government for. I think it's a matter that you, you take up as a standalone sort of thing. And then, uh, again, if people, that the American people can decide, you know, where are you on the whole issue of border security? Where are you on the wall? And if people vote against it, you vote them out at the next election. One of the things that's going on right now is TSA screeners, uh, they are currently working without pay. Now, they will once... Well, when and if this budget shutdown, the partial government shutdown is resolved, they, they will get their back pay. But at the moment, they're working with, without pay. And one of the things that they're seeing is that the number of people calling in sick is doubling and tripling. And presumably, I mean, I think the inference is some people are deciding that they don't want to work without pay. Let me just say this. Regardless of where you come down on the whole you know, partial government shutdown issue, I don't think it is reasonable to expect people to work without pay, even if you know at some point in time you're going to be paid back. You you know, you wouldn't like it. I wouldn't like it. Nobody would, would like this. And so that's why I, I think you have to figure out a way, whether it's President Trump who blinks, whether it's Nancy Pelosi who blinks, or, or maybe maybe the best way is both of them to blink. I don't think you should expect people to work without knowing that they're going to get paid, I, and that's I don't think any of us would like it, and I don't think it's reasonable to do that. And I think that's where again, regardless of who you think is right or who you think is wrong, and the whole dispute about the budget, that, that, that that's fine. Reasonable people can disagree, but I, I do think in many respects the employees who are expected to be or expected to work. Without without with all at the same time being told that, oh, you know, Friday is payday, you're not going to get paid. I don't think that is a reasonable thing. And whether it's President Trump or Nancy Pelosi or Mitch McConnell, I I think that's where the government's got to figure this out. And they've got to figure it out soon. Unfortunately, I don't have any hope for that. It's two fifty four. When we come back, we're going to find out what John, Melissa and Greg have on their minds for Wisconsin's afternoon news. Please stick around.